The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Okay, so welcome everyone. Um, give me the thumbs up if I need to speak louder. A little louder? I will try, otherwise move your chairs. <laughs> um, we don't have the microphone today. So my name is uh, Mira Young, and um, um, I've been part of this uh, meditation community for a number of years, and in the Vipassana community as a whole. And I'm also a community Dharma leader and trained through Spirit Rock Meditation Center, similar to Mark. And um, I'm happy to um, share whatever support for our practice when, as, as we know, a number of the people are on retreat um, with Mark leading out of town this weekend. It's great to see everybody here, especially on a Labor Day weekend, so welcome. Um, I'm also a psychotherapist at Rivers Way Meditation Center, and I teach mindfulness-based stress reduction through the U and other classes, um, um, do various adjunct teaching in addition to my practice. So tonight's topic uh, is living the path of awareness and the five recollections. I was here yesterday, and so some of you on the half-day retreat, this will be a variation of that talk. Um, I'd like to start with a reading by um, Ajahn Sumedho, a senior monk in the Vipassana tradition, in the fourth tradition, and this is on awareness. Awareness is your refuge. Awareness of the changingness of feelings, of attitudes, of moods, of material change and emotional change. Stay with that because it's a refuge that is indestructible. It's not something that changes. It's a refuge you can trust in. This refuge is not something that you create. It's not a creation. It's not an ideal. It's very practical and very simple, but easily overlooked or not noticed. When you're mindful, you're beginning to notice it's like this. So awareness is a refuge. What is this path of awareness? You know, what brings us here on a Sunday evening? I, I'd like to offer um, some of the teachings share on the five recollections of how do we start our day? How do we embody this dharma? I was recently um, received some teachings from a woman um, master teacher, a Rinpoche in the Tibetan tradition, um, Rinpoche Jetson Kondro, and she was very clear and very strong about um, confronting us and really over and over saying, what do you mean that you don't have time to practice? <laughs> How can you not have time to practice? Now, I'm not saying it as clearly and um, authentically as she did, but it was like over and over again throughout a weekend of teaching as she was going through these um, a variation of these five um, recollections, also called the Four Reminders in the Tibetan uh, tradition. She 
she kept saying, you know, if a friend calls you, you'll drop everything. And if they're in need, right, we'll, we'll be on the phone for two hours, right? Or if there's a good movie to go to or something else, we'll make time, most of us. But when it comes to our practice, we, we often believe that our lives are so busy that we don't have time for this practice. And the other point that she drilled home over and again was the fact that we split our practice. We have our practice on our cushion, and we have the practice that doesn't exist the rest of the time. <laughs> so, so how do we have this embodied, seamless practice that there's that is no time that we're not practicing? It's not that we just don't not that we don't have time to practice. The fact is that. We're, we're practicing all of the time by walking this path of awareness. And what helps to wake us up? How do we start our days? How do we bring our practice to the center of our life? So it's something that we live rather than something that we talk about or feel guilty about or wish we did more of or yada, yada. And, and in the years of teaching, particularly in the mindfulness-based stress reduction courses and some of the other classes I teach, I've even had people, I had someone last semester email me and say, I didn't come to class because I didn't practice this week. And, <laughs> and I, I mean, it was sad. And I had to, you know, kind of laugh, but also just feel sad, like all the more reason to come to class, to get that support. And we know that for as coming together as a community. We don't do this well alone. You know, we need the support. And so if you're having trouble practicing or you're feeling like you're, you're, you want to practice more deeply um, or start your practice, just begin again and get the support. So what are the five daily recollections? Nothing complicated here, this one author says. These are straightforward as you can get, putting us in touch with the realities of life and the fact that we're responsible for our own lives. The first of the three recollections are old age, sickness, and death. These are the first three heavenly messengers that the Buddha-to-be, Prince Siddhartha, encountered when he ventured outside of the sheltered life his father had arranged for him. They, along with the fourth messenger, an aesthetic, someone with a begging bowl, living a simple life, were further inspiration for him to abandon his life of sensual pleasure and pursue a spiritual path. And then the fifth recollection is about cause and effect. Often we hear it's karma. So I'll read through these. I am of the nature to grow old. I am of the nature to have ill health. I am of the nature to die. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. My actions are my only true belongings. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. Actions are the womb from which I have sprung. So the fifth recollection the law of karma basically tells us what goes around comes around. Or as one Vipassana teacher, Ruth Dennison, put it, karma, darling, means you don't get away with nothing. 
go. Karma means you don't get away with nothing, darling. That's what she said. So here we have these three marks of existence, birth, old age, and death. You know, we have impermanence, the self-suffering, the inherent difficulties or dukkha in life or stress. And we have the selfless nature, the empty nature of things as they are. So how we engage in our practice is to meet this reality. You know, our society does not normally want to think or talk about these things. But all of us know in various ways that we've confronted it over and over again. There's no, there's no escape. It's part of being a human being. Precious human life. The world and its inhabitants are impermanent. Especially the life of beings is like a bubble. Death comes without warning. This body will be a corpse. At that time, only the Dharma can help me, and I will practice it now with exertion. Four common preliminaries, the four reminders, the four thoughts, or the five recollections that turn the mind to the Dharma. These contemplations are offered and done there quietly each morning. I started um, doing these on most days. Is really taking time to reflect on the joys and delights of the human life, of the preciousness of the human life, of the brevity and impermanence of a human life, and also on cause and effect, and on the nature of life and how ephemeral it is. And then letting that inform the day and wanting to be a support for the welfare of others. So thinking about compassion and contemplating impermanence daily actually is an opportunity for us to live more alive, more awake, and more fully with more awareness. So, you know, what are your ways that you start your day, you know, as I ask you to contemplate that? And we'll have time, hopefully, for some discussion and sharing about that. Like, what helps us really walk this path of awareness? These are not dogma. These thoughts are to be considered, reasoned out, questioned, and contemplated. Some even seem commonsensical, and yet while they may say, oh, I know that, of course I know that. Do we really live as if we knew that? What would happen if we did? What would happen if we really lived this way and we contemplated this? Sakyam Nimsam Rinpoche, on turning the mind into an ally, talks about these four reminders um, this way. He said, contemplating and meditating on the teachings of the Buddha, we first need to hear the Dharma, whether it's in Sanskrit, Tibetan, English, French, or Polish. We listen with our ears, we read with our eyes, and we absorb with our hearts and minds. And next, through contemplating, we sink into the meaning of what we have heard. We no longer skim the surface of existence, but rather plumb to the depth to discover the jewel of the Dharma hidden there. Finally, in meditation, our mind and the Dharma meet like a rock meets bone. 
The four reminders, or the five recollections, expose the bone-jarring experience of our daily life, which we usually try to pad with material comfort. They lead us away from our preoccupation with avoiding pain and seeking gain, and guide us towards seeing the true nature of our mind and our world. Thus then, glimpse things as they are, we're inspired to devote ourselves to benefiting others. I'll share one other version of these four reminders or recollections, five daily recollections from the sutta. Intoxicated by youth, the run-of-the-mill ordinary worldling does not recognize that aging is unavoidable. Intoxicated by health, the run-of-the-mill ordinary worldling does not recognize that illness is unavoidable. Intoxicated by vitality, the run-of-the-mill, ordinary worldling does not recognize that death is inevitable. Intoxicated by possessions, the run-of-the-mill, ordinary worldling does not recognize that everything will change and vanish. When I was on a earlier this summer with um, one of the teachers was uh, Joseph Goldstein, who's a founder of the, one of the co-founders of the Insight Meditation Society. Many of you may have heard of him. And uh, he has like 40 years of practice under his belt, and he just has such a graceful ease of presence and depth um, and humor. He has a lot of wonderful humor. And he talked about... Um, um, he came in on the last day of uh, the retreat or the last Dharma talk of this retreat and he was talking about, oh, I'll just share a few things from my um, sabbatical and some time he spent in meditation this past year. And I understand he's usually quite prepared for a Dharma talk with lots of notes and he pretty much sat down with a few things and he said, I'm just going to talk about these things. And he began to talk about what does mindfulness mean, what does consciousness mean, what does perception mean. And, in, and he was talking about our minds and how they're like a black lab. He said he loves black labs. And he said that the black labs are very, very attentive. You know, they're very conscious. When they, when they focus, you know, they're really focused. They go from one thing to the next. Are there any black lab owners or dog owners here, do you have those kind of, and our minds are just, they, they get very involved. And we can think that we're being conscious, that we're being aware, but there's absolutely no mindfulness there. There's no awareness there. There's a lot of attention, right? A lot of consciousness, but not a lot of awareness. So how do we not only get involved, but also bring mindfulness and awareness into our, our life. And um, he also was shared that he was on a retreat one time where he had gone for a hike and he had fallen and injured his knee quite badly. And he realized at that time that anything can happen at any time. You know, so much of the 
is that we live in that little illusion that we're just going to go along with our lives and we don't take in the truth that anything can happen at any time. And we're kind of involved, like the black lab, in our projects and our activities, but there's not a lot of awareness there. I was um, on the North Shore um, this past week. Um, just wonderful to be by that lake and to see how it changes all the time, moment to moment. You know, just moods and thoughts and feelings are like that. Just and to see it embodied in this water and how it changed moment to moment depending on how whether there was wind or what the sun was shining or had clouds or or how deep or shallow, and to just observe with awareness this changing nature all of the time within and without us. On the drive back, we had picked up a friend part of the way to give a ride to, and we were going along a particular stretch of the highway. A popular hiking spot was coming up, and he said, a couple of years ago, someone from the Twin City area was driving along similar to we were to us and went to turn left to drive into the parking lot of this hiking spot, probably thinking, oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hiking here, right, or I'm going to go on this nice hike. And the next moments that occurred were a tragic accident where the car was hit from the rear, spun out, ended up um, hitting a guardrail and bursting into flames. So I was sitting, driving our car, <laughs> my friend was telling me this, and I was partly pissed off, like, why are you telling me this? I'm driving past, you know, are we going on a nice hike today? <laughs> but at the same time, it was a real wake-up, you know, a real wake-up, and just enjoying the day and the different spots we went to, and, and knowing that, you know, we're... Just like this one, you know, we all have plans, but we don't know. We really don't know. So, wake up. <laughs> you know, not, not in a scary way, but, but really taking that in, how precious those moments are. Mark Nepole is a poet who um, is also a cancer survivor, and he's uh, in a long-time meditation practice practitioner in our tradition. It's, it, it, my understanding is he also does Vipassana in, as well as other practice. And these are some quotes from his book of Awakening. Unlike birds, we confuse our time on earth again and again with obsessions of what we are going, of where we are going, often to the point that we frustrate and stall our human ability to fly. We waste so much energy trying to cover up who we are when beneath every attitude is the want to be loved, and beneath every anger is a wound to be healed, and beneath every sadness is a fear that there will not be enough time. Consider how each of us is blinded by what we fear. If we fear heights, we're blind to the humility of vast perspectives. If we fear small places, we're blind to the secret of sudden solitude. If we fear passion, we're blind to the comfort of oneness. We can never be prepared for everything. No person can anticipate all of life. In fact, over-preparation is yet another way to wall ourselves off from life. 
A person can build a home on a cliff by the sea only to have a month of fog roll in, curse the place and move away, and a week later the fog cleared. Being human, we all have fogs roll in in our hearts, and often our lives depend on the quiet courage to wait for them to clear. One of the other teachings that Ajahn, that uh, Rinpoche uh, Jetson Kondra was sharing, along with these four reminders or five recollections, um, is about really taking the risk to fully engage in life. And what does that mean for each of us, to really risk fully, fully engaging, to really jump in with both feet? I, I found a, a little quote from uh, Michelle McDonald Smith, who's, uh, or Michelle McDonald now is her name, um, a Dharma teacher um, well known in our uh, Western community. She said that there is a deep stream behind the meditation center in Honolulu that is our meditation group rents for retreat. Once in a while during a course there, I have a chance to go to the stream. Year after year, I do the same thing. I head upstream, walking on top of the little rocks that are showing through the swiftly moving water. I try to keep from falling in because I don't want to get wet, but invariably at some point I do. There's always the moment of fear, oh no, I'm falling in. And then I fall in, and it's fine. It's really fun, and I have a good time. Many times we respond to emotions and mind states in the same way. As Rumi says in his poem, we might be experiencing unhappiness, shame, or a mean thought, and we finally allow ourselves to recognize it. Oh, it's simply the fear, it's the shame, it's falling into the stream of unpleasantness. We might not find it so bad. Falling in doesn't mean drowning. It doesn't mean that we're lost in thinking about our experience. Following, falling in means that additional suffering of resistance disappears. And can we have an interest in this experience of falling in, of really taking the risk? Like, okay, I'm going to do my best to live as fully and mindfully awake and aware moment to moment, and if I fall in or fall out or fall down or forget, so what? So what? Begin again. Or... Um, do it anyway. To share a couple more readings. Total acceptance. This is from The Shoes of the Fisherman. It costs so much to be a full human being that there are very few who have the enlightenment or the courage to pay the price. One has to abandon altogether the search for security and reach out to the risk of living with both arms. One has to embrace the world like a lover. One has to accept pain as a condition of existence. One has to court doubts and darkness as the cost of knowing. One needs a will stubborn in, com in conflict, but apt always to total acceptance of every consequence of living and dying. Robert Frost, in his beautiful poem about the road less traveled, he tells us, that somewhere 
the two roads diverged into the woods, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. So the Dharma is often referred to as going against the stream. Taking the path of awareness is the road less traveled. It's choosing to face life. It's choosing to actually take time, perhaps each day, to reflect and recollect these four reminders or five recollections. You can choose basically same birth, aging, death, right? The base. Even the three is plenty, right? And the preciousness of the human life. And this opportunity that we have to practice the Dharma is very rare. There's many famous stories about it, you know, like the turtle in the ocean putting its head through the yoke, the likelihood of that. I mean, it's very rare to have an opportunity. Um, and as we're here, you know, at this season, change, the changing nature, summer to fall, although today was quite warm, we have an opportunity to, to see the, the, the impermanence, you know, um, the harvesting of the veggies. And also, we have an opportunity to see um, some of the greed, hatred, and delusion as we are in this election season, and an opportunity to wake up our own hearts and minds. Just a couple of thoughts on what are, what are some of those ways to practice the path of awareness. In addition to bringing the, the um, recollections to mind and, and waking ourselves up, remembering, taking the time to practice on and off the cushion, we can also, as Rick Hansen says, um, look for those moments of stillness. He wrote The Buddha's Brain and other books about the brain. And he talks about um, looking or finding stillness. By, this, by its nature, this can seem abstract or maybe mystical, but it's actually quite down to earth. All around us every day are examples of stillness, opportunities to find that which doesn't change, but we have to look for them. The brain evolved to pay attention to novelty, to changes that signal carrots or sticks. It's easy to miss the unchanging sky, the clouds passing over it, and the quiet behind the crickets chirping, the enduring good-heartedness underneath the daily drama of family relationships and stable awareness of unstable thoughts and feelings, the unchanging nature of all that changes. Yet when we do find stillness, it's soothing, replenishing refuge in the busy world, perhaps even a window into something profound. So look for those times of the stillness or the quiet that's there behind it all. Can we drop into that awareness, that tomato, what we began with, that refuge is our true home, that awareness is our refuge. So when we can drop into awareness, just being aware, that is an opportunity to connect with that stillness and that which doesn't change, which is aware and awake. The path of awareness is one of peace and freedom. So 
before we go into our discussion, I'm going to um, close with a, a poem by Rainier Rilke. It's called The Buddha in Glory. Center of all centers, core of cores, almond self-enclosed and growing sweet. All this universe to the furthest stars and beyond them is your flesh, your fruit. Now you feel how nothing clings to you. Your vast shell reaches into endless space. And there the rich, thick fluids rise and flow, illuminated in your infinite peace. A billion stars go spinning through the night, blazing high above your head. But in you is the presence that will be when all the stars are dead. But in you is the presence that will be when all the stars are dead. For a few moments, let the words go. Um, there's plenty of time before we close in, in our loving kindness too. Anything that came up for you tonight? And any questions or thoughts you have? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. 
Did anyone, um, anything come up when you reflected about um, how you start your day or how you bring this awareness into your life? Or is anyone struggling with making time to practice? I imagine no one here is. <laughs> yeah. 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 All day, every day. 
find ways to open to the truth of how things are and so maybe you know that can be a, a, a place of sharing for how, how do I open to the, the way things are um, and also sometimes when we have some insights into the changing nature or it can be through our practice through life experience but we have an insight like the, 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 the usual ways that we sort of um, perceive or kind of get peeled back and we go, wow, wow, things really can change at any moment or we start to get overwhelmed with fear. And I think, I, I don't think so much about getting past it as like how to be with that, how to be with when my heart feels fear or, or and that's where it's also helpful to have a relationship with a teacher that knows your practice because there's different points where we can feel very overwhelmed, very vulnerable, um, kind of we're, we're, we're opening to the truth of how it is. And yet, ultimately, we, can, we find a new balance with that. Um, I love the example of Pema Children, who talks about people have a lot of fear of what they call of groundlessness when they start to see the empty nature of things or the ephemeral nature. Or the, the, and, and people often have panic and fear. And, and um, she says it's kind of like you jump out of an airplane and you start to fall and you're freaking out and then you realize there's no ground, that it's perfectly safe. So, so sometimes it, it, it's very threatening to our old ego identity, our sense of self, but actually not having control, wow, what a lot of freedom. No, I'm not saying you should feel that way, but but actually when you realize, wow, I, I can't control, all I can do is do my best to show up with an open heart and mind and a clear intention as possible, no problem. But, but you know, sometimes it's like, oh, wow. I mean, I certainly experienced that being a mother <laughs> when my son was a teenager struggling and not having a damn bit of control over this person or their behavior. and. And for me, it was not only frightening, it was frustrating. 
they had a lot of good Dharma friends to remind me to just keep letting go. But it can help to have that kind of support. Yes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.